This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. We're in a series, and today is sermon number four. In this series, Go With God. The entire theme of what we're talking about comes from the book of Exodus. And we're studying some of the life principles of Moses, which I think are applicable for you today. You will see in the Word this morning, as we have already seen in these last three sermons, how these spiritual truths not only impacted the children of Israel, but how, even though they are in the Old Testament, how they still apply to you and I today. And I do pray that not only will you be fed the Word, but that you will gain spiritual insights from these spiritual truths. So much to say in just a little bit of time this morning, and so I need to get right with it, and I want you to follow along with me. So turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 7. They will get all of these scriptures that we use today on the big screen. And so I pray that uh, if this is the better way for you to read these scriptures, that you would follow along with us. The message entitled today simply says, God says, look at me. I want you to think about that. In Exodus chapter 7, verse number 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. That's an unusual statement. It's not the strangest statement that God has ever made. And in just a few moments, I'm going to show you what I believe. Now, there could be something stranger in the Bible. I don't know of it. I'm going to share with you in just a moment what I believe to be the strangest and the most unusual thing God has ever asked of a man. This is pretty strange in itself. I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. When we come to a passage of scripture like this, we see once again that Moses is in another deep struggle with God. That could very easily sound like some of us today. You might be in a struggle with God. You might say, well, preacher, I don't know that it's a struggle with God, but I'm having a lot of things going south in my life right now. Maybe sometimes, as we spoke about last Sunday, we just have to be still at times. Not simply just slowing down, but be still and listening to God. He said, be still and know that I am God. I am the Lord. Moses is in another deep struggle with God. And we've already seen in this series how Moses continues to muster up reasons why he has a hard time agreeing with the Lord. But in this particular struggle, we see God not only pushing Moses to obedience, but we see him pushing Pharaoh towards obedience as well. But while Pharaoh's heart is hardened, we see in the story that the heart of Moses seems to be more moldable. And so the Lord, he continues to engage Moses and when I thought of that, 
and what God was asking Moses to do. I'm sure Moses looked at it like, this is, this is a job I don't want to do. This is a dirty job, God. And somebody else might be a whole lot better cleaning up this mess than me. Maybe some of you have seen the TV reality show called Dirty Jobs. The star of that show, Mike Rowe, travels all over America and he looks for dirty blue-collar jobs that he says many people do not want to do. They wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole. I'm talking about jobs like sewer inspectors. Now, how many in here today wants to be one of those? I don't think any of us do. Somewhere on this earth, there are people that do it. Thank God for them. Somebody's got to do it. How about this? Pig slop processors. I don't know anybody who wants to sign up for that. It's, it's, it's true. Animal urine collectors. All rig workers. Snake pit custodians. Now, if you have snakes and you want to get rid of snakes, Danny is the person to call. <laughs> Danny can handle snakes. And I don't mean that in the religious way. <laughs> how about, how about roadkill collectors? I mean, th those are some of the most dirtiest jobs. As I was doing some research for this message that I came across, and maybe you have watched someone do some type of work like that from afar off. You've, you've passed by on the highway. You've seen him. You said, man, you couldn't pay me enough money to do that. How about those people that lay tar and asphalt on the road when it's 110 degrees outside? You ever seen people doing that? I'm talking about on a hot blistering day. But on the other hand, because we're all different. The Bible says that we're wonderfully uniquely, beautifully made in the image of God. There may be some people in here today that would say, I'll do anything for money. You may look at it from the perspective, man, how cool that would be. If I could climb in that tank, if I could get down in that pit. Now there may be some adventurous people in here among us today that would do that. I don't know you by name, but maybe there is somebody like that. Maybe, maybe now, maybe somebody here this morning would like to fantasize with this particular Bible story and say, how cool it would have been to have been Moses and to become a hero in the faith like he was. But again, others in here would say, not me, man. I, I, don't, I would not have wanted anything to do with that stuff. Not me. I just want my coffee and my PJs. Call me a Christian, but that's as far as I want to go with it. Now, without question, listen carefully. Moses was asked of God to do a very complex, and maybe he would say, Lord, this is, this is, why are you asking me to do such a dirty job? To do what you're asking me to do, there are more people that I think would be more qualified than me. Lord, you Every time you talk to me, it's, it's like you're asking me to do some type of difficult thing. I mean, everything that was asked of him, he was constantly coming up against Pharaoh. Nothing was going his way. 
And as time went on, I'm sure he must have thought as many times as he had walked in Pharaoh's court that this was going to be his last time that Pharaoh was going to put up with him. I mean, this thing is like a hamster's wheel. It's going nowhere. He trots in there and he says, God said, let my people go. And he said, I will not let them go. And one repetitious time after another, Moses is doing that. And now I'm thinking that we're this far in the story that perhaps Moses is thinking in his mind that Pharaoh was going to get so aggravated with him that he was going to demand that his head be served on a silver platter. Now, we lay some of the humorous things aside just for a few moments, and we cannot forget that in the story that Pharaoh is a very evil and wicked man. He is so diabolical that he has gone as far as he has ordered the deaths of little children. So every time Moses approaches him, he knows that he's walking in his presence on thin ice. He knows that any moment, Pharaoh could lower the boom on him. Now, he, he not only knows that Pharaoh is starting to get aggravated with him, but he also knows that the children of Israel have now become exhausted with him. They believe that all of their harsh labor and all of their punishment that they're going through is a direct result of his continual actions of going into the presence of Pharaoh and saying all of these things that God has said for him to say. Some of these Hebrews who have been in Egyptian captivity for 450 years are probably saying because of the additional labor that has been required of them, some of them are probably saying, Moses, I wish you would just shut up. Leave this man alone. Would you please stop all of this stuff? Some may have been even conspiring to deal with Moses themselves. Maybe, I don't know, but maybe some said, you know, this guy won't shut up. He's creating all this trouble. We have all this work. Maybe somebody, I don't know, the Bible doesn't say this. Maybe some got in a huddle and said, you know what? The next time we see him, we need to take him behind the corner and teach him a lesson. We need to put a muzzle on him. We need to shut him up. Look what he's doing to us. They were extremely worked up. But I would have to agree that Moses had a very difficult job. The book of Hebrews mentions a little bit about that. And between Exodus 5, 6, and 7, and going basically into chapter 7, here's something that I want you to see in the scripture. Something begins to change in the disposition of Moses. When he, when he was always seeming to be arguing with God, he seems to be moving closer to a place of being molded, as Vicky sang so well just a moment ago. I want you to see this in Hebrews 11, verse 23 through 26. Read these verses with me on the screen. The Bible says, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season 
esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in, the, in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. But I want us to look at the beginning of this transformation, how Moses, his heart started to change just a little bit. Last week we ended in Exodus chapter 6, verse 28 through 30. Let me rehearse that with you just for a moment. And it came to pass on the day when the Lord spake unto Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak thou unto Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say unto thee. And Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh hearken unto me? Here, Moses is still trying to weasel out of the assignment, still trying to get out of this dirty job that God has for him. At least that's what Moses is identifying it as. But then chapter 7 comes along, and all of a sudden we see things starting to move in his heart. And God begins to speak to him in a very tender and a compassionate way. In Exodus 7, verse 1 and 2, let's look at our opening text again. The scripture says, And the Lord said unto Moses, See, I have made thee a God to Pharaoh, and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. Thou shalt speak all that I command thee. And Aaron thy brother shall speak unto Pharaoh that he send the children of Israel out of his land. Moses is saying this, God, I have failed at convincing Israel. I have failed at even convincing your people, the Hebrews, about this project. And if I have failed to communicate this to my own people, to your people, then how in the world am I going to be able to persuade Pharaoh? And so God begins to speak again, and he says, look. Now, this is a very significant word in the message today. In Exodus 7, verse 1, look at this word, see. It's one of the most important words in this whole passage. And you can read this verse a hundred times and you might not ever come across that word to stop, pause, and ponder. But in my Bible, I have highlighted this and I want you to underline that simple word, see. Sometimes we skip over so much of the important words because we think that they're too insignificant, but this is incredibly important. This word see. The word actually, when you look at this in the Hebrew, it means to examine. And God is saying, look at me, Moses. He is saying, see, that's what he's saying. Examine me. Expect something out of me. Look at me, Moses. Have you ever seen somebody put their loving hands on someone's face who's going through some type of panic or struggle or they're broken in spirit and somebody would take their loving hands and compassion and put them on their face and say, calm down, calm down, just look at me, stop crying. Pause, just wait a minute. And they put their loving hands on somebody's face and looked them square in the eyes and said, just listen to me, stop. And everything seems to be still for the moment. Maybe you've had to do that with somebody. You've had to put your loving hands on somebody's face and calm somebody down by doing that. Maybe even to snap them back into some kind of reality. And that's exactly what God is doing here with Moses in all of this hysteria, 
now God is saying, Moses. And I can almost see God putting his loving hands on his face and saying, look at me. Moses, see. Moses, look at me. I can see God doing that right here at this passage, calling his attention back to reality. Now, no doubt about it, he's nervous, he's anxious, and God interrupts all of the frenzy that he's in by saying, look at me. You know, what is interesting about the human heart is this, it's not much different in perspective than the human eye. We've come to accept that whatever is closest to us is the biggest thing we're dealing with. Now, these are some spiritual truths I want to give you today, but I believe it'll help you follow along with this. We have come to accept that whatever is the biggest thing at us or the biggest thing closest to us is the biggest problem we have. Now, it really doesn't mean that it's the biggest, but somehow we allow ourselves to think that. We have a habit of bringing what is closest to us to be brought so close in front of us that we lose the perspective of what's really big. For example, in my pocket here, I have a quarter. That's about all I have in my pocket is a quarter. But I, I want you to take this quarter here for an example, just for a moment. If, if I take this quarter and I hold it up to my eye, and I look at this quarter, I lose the effect of the size of this auditorium. I lose the beauty of it. I cannot see the lobby. Just by holding this quarter up in front of my, I bring it really close up to my eye and look at this quarter. That's all I can see is this one little quarter. Now, I want you to think about this because I want to take this just a little step farther. I'm trying to illustrate something for you here, but it's a spiritual truth that I hope that you won't forget. If I took this quarter, I don't know how many of you ever been to the Grand Canyon, one of the most beautiful wonders of the world. You see the handiwork of God. Uh, Gail and I have been to the place where they have this glass walkway out there. I mean, it's just Clear as glass, and man, I, I got out there, and she's just, come on, it's okay. We walk, I don't know how many have ever done that before, but I mean, you get out there on that glass walkway, you look down, it's like being suspended in the air. But you can stand on the edge of, of the Grand Canyon, and you can do the same thing. You can look at the quarter, you can put a quarter, this little quarter on your eye, and you can't see any of the greatness of the canyon. You bring this little quarter to your eye, it really shuts out all the bigness and all the greatness of everything all around you. It wipes out. You could stand on the edge of the ocean and put this quarter up to your eye and it would wipe all the bigness away from you. And here's the thing, a lot of times... We take our problems, our circumstances. We take what the enemy is doing to us and we pull it so close to our eyes, 
We put it so close to our mind. We pull it so close to our heart. Rather than looking at the greatness and the bigness of God that's all around us, we take all of our problems and we put it so close to us that that's all we can see. Let me ask the question. You have a tendency to worry, constantly worry about stuff. You know, really, 99% of the stuff we worry about never really comes to pass anyway. But a lot of us that might have a tendency to worry, to dwell on things just to speculate. I, I wonder if this, and we always wonder the worst, thinking about the negative side of it. Let me give you three scriptures real quick here. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is acceptable, that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. The devil, the enemy is after your mind. And what he wants to do, he wants to pull all of your troubles and problems so close to you that that's all you can see. You can't see the greatness of God all around you because you have pulled your problems so close to you. That's all you can think about. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing it into captivity, every thought to the obedience of Christ. And Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8, I've had so many people in my office during counseling sessions over the last nearly 40 years right here. And here's the thing. I always most of the time share this verse of scripture with people who doubt and worry and who struggle with their minds being held captive by the enemy. This is the scripture for you today. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, the devil is a liar. He will speak untruth to you. And if you know just by your conscience but much more, you know by the Holy Spirit, things that are coming your way that are not true. Listen, that's not the Holy Spirit. Shut it down. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, pure, lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Paul said to think on these things. So here's the way that it works. We have to discipline ourselves to look more towards God than the burdens or the bigness or the size of our problems. Somebody might say, well, pastor, to just say, oh, don't worry about it, that's just too simple. Everybody in this church house knows that's not possible. And it's ridiculous. If you have troubles and worries, and I'm talking about things that keep you up at night, maybe steal your, your joy that takes away your appetite, that makes you nervous and all kinds of things. For you to share those kind of intimate things with people and for somebody just to say, oh, just don't worry about it. That's ridiculous. That doesn't work. We, we all have things on our hearts and in our minds right now that if we would allow it, if we weren't in this church house today singing these songs of Zion, lifting up our hands to praise to God and fellowshipping with one another, if we were out in the car down the highway in our home, in this place or that place, we, we might be rocked by some things that are happening in our life. We really would be, things that we're going through. And listen now, and if you were to share those things with people and they were to say, just don't worry about it, you, you know 
that's not what you want to hear. You know that doesn't work. You would say to that person, hey, you don't understand what I'm going to, through, so don't play this thing down to me. I mean, just trying to push things away is not a realistic solution to trouble. But please listen carefully. Learning to keep God in perspective is a trained, a trained aspect of spiritual discipline. You have to work at that. We have to learn how to trust him. To just say, don't worry about it, is bogus because all of us have a tendency to do that. In Proverbs chapter three, verse six, the scripture says this, and all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. We have to learn how to put our worst circumstances into the perspective with God. So this right here in the story is a crossroad for Moses. That's why God is lovingly putting his hands on his face and saying, Moses, look at me, see, very compassionately. When God says, look at me, Moses, he is not only wanting Moses to look at him for who he is, but he's also wanting to reassure him that God himself is not afraid of his circumstances and God's not afraid of Pharaoh. He says, look at me. Look what I have done. Look what I have shown you. Look at the promises that I've made you and the promises that I've kept and the promises that I will keep. And so God is saying to Moses in chapter seven and verse one, that when I get finished with this thing, when I get finished with this dirty job, you think that it is. When I get finished with Pharaoh, Pharaoh, and this is an unusual statement from God to make. He said, when I get finished with him, he's going to think you are a God. Now, God said, thou shalt not have any other gods before me. And it's very unusual that God would say, Moses, okay. Listen, this old boy is going to think you are a God and Aaron is your prophet when I get finished dealing with him. In Exodus 7, 1, and the Lord said unto Moses, see, I've made thee a God to Pharaoh and Aaron thy brother shall be thy prophet. And so God's plan was that Moses was going to be a conduit of power. Pharaoh is going to look at the words coming out of the mouth of Moses he is going to look at the way that he stretches out his staff. He is going to look at the way that he presents God's wonders and miracles. And when he does that, Moses, he can only conclude, he is going to conclude that you are God. So now God teaches Moses that when this happens, when he brings Pharaoh to this place, Pharaoh, this is the point. Pharaoh is going to look at you differently, Moses. When he sees all that I have done through you, yeah, you have walked into his palace and he's been thinking, who in the world do you think you are? He's going to be thinking all these things. But when I get finished with him, Moses, when I bring him to this place, he's going to look at you differently. Some things are going to start happening in his life. But he says, Moses, I want to prepare you because as he begins to think about you differently and in a different way, he said, I'm going to harden his heart even more than what it is now. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 3 and 4, God said, and I will harden Pharaoh's heart and multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. 
But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine enemies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. Some scriptures in the Bible are really hard to understand. One of them, why God would say, when I get through with you and Pharaoh, Moses, Pharaoh's going to think you're a God. That's a strange statement. And then we read something like this. Moses, in spite of everything that's taken place, in spite of Pharaoh now looking at you in a different way, and I can see Moses saying, thank, thank you, Lord. This, I, I, I knew at some point you were going to come through. And I can almost see Moses take a sour relief and God said, but wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Even though he's going to be looking at you in a different way and he's going to see all these signs and miracles and wonders, God says, and guess what? I'm going to harden his heart even more. That's a strange statement. I will make it so, Moses, he will look at you as a God, and then on top of that, I'm going to harden his heart. Now, why would God do something like that? I mean, look at it carefully. First of all, Pharaoh's heart is already hardened. Remember at the burning bush, God tells Moses that he's going to ask Pharaoh for a three-day worship period. God knew that Pharaoh wouldn't do that. He knew that he would say no, but he wanted to make life considerably harder on the Hebrews. So God told Moses, you're going to see how hard his heart really can get, how hard this thing is going to become so difficult, Moses. So not only was God hardening Pharaoh's heart, but Pharaoh was hardening his own heart. Think about this. In chapter 8, verse 12 through 15, and Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, out of the fields. And they gathered them together upon heaps and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was this respite, he hardened his heart and hearkened not unto them as the Lord said. And so then the Lord turns around and he hardens Pharaoh's heart even more so. In chapter 11, verse 9 and 10, And the Lord said unto Moses, Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. And Moses and Aaron did all the wonders before Pharaoh, and the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart so that he would not let the children of Israel go out of his land. The first thing that I want to share with you real quickly is this. A prideful and resistant heart always becomes more hardened. A prideful and resistant heart always becomes more hardened. And for the sake of time, I want to go to Romans chapter 1, verse 21 and 25. And I want you to look at the scripture here. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. These scriptures go down through verse number 25, and I want you to read them at home. You have them on your bulletin. I want to speed up this message just a little bit. It's a terrible thing. Listen carefully. When God gives people up 
And he will do that because of pride and rebellion. He will turn people over for the destruction of the flesh. These scriptures testify of that. And it's a terrible thing when God gives people up and he will only do that after a long resisted pursuit. And so God is saying this, if that's what you want, and he's talking to you and me today through the word, and I want you to listen very carefully. If God's been dealing with you on some specific issues and you continually say no, and the Holy Spirit is saying, slow down, stop, turn around, and you're saying, no, not today. We're going to be talking about this great word tomorrow, next Sunday. But God says, stop, slow down, and turn around. And you say, no, not today. I'm having too much fun. I'm too busy, God. Listen, God will deal with you for a period of time. But after a long resisted pursuit, God says, if that's what you want, then I will give you over to the hardness of your heart. And that's why I want you to read these scriptures when you go home. That's why backsliding is so dangerous. The hardness of unbelief, the hardness of stubbornness. Number two or number three this morning, let me speed this up just a bit. Number three, let's go to number three. There's hope for a season. In Psalms 95, verse 7, the word says this, For he is our God, and we are his people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Look at this. Today, and I've underlined that word in my Bible, if you will hear his voice, and look at this word, today. Because if you're in a place right now in your life, and you're running from God, and you're saying, God, not today, not today. The word says today is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation. If you've hardened your heart and you're running from God, my question is this. Are you still able to hear the still small voice in your heart? Can you still hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit? Don't ever gamble with the Spirit's moving in your life because it could be his last and final moments with you. God does give people up. Listen to this. It took the death of Pharaoh's son to get his attention. In Exodus chapter 7, verse number 4 through 7, we see some startling scriptures. I want to move fast and forward. At this point, Moses is 80 years old and Aaron is 83. We all know that Moses was 120 when he died. When God started doing this, in the life of Moses, his life was at the place where it was two-thirds over already. Now at his age and everything that's happening, he's questioning God on every level. I'm sure he's thinking, God, at this point in my life, I should be getting ready for retirement. God, at this point in my life, I should be getting ready to chill. God, at this point in my life, I should be getting ready to let my sons be the keepers of this flock. However, in his reluctance, he's still willing to obey. He is saying, okay, whatever it is, God ask me in Exodus 7, verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch forth my hand upon Egypt and will bring out the children of Israel from among them. But in the same verse, look at what God says, that even the Egyptians would know that I am the Lord. Look at that. That's incredible. God's doing a, a mighty work. 
I want to ask our musicians to come forward, but I want to share with you number four. And I said just a few moments ago in the opening text that I'm going to show you what I believe to be the strangest statement God has ever made to an individual. And it's a huge point. It's a great spiritual truth. And that is this. The problems and the struggles and the difficult circumstances that you are going through right now may not only be just for you. You say, my, my life is turned upside down. It's going south. I've got all of the stuff, this mess, this trouble is going, why God are you persecuting me? Why are you allowing such difficulty to befall on me? Well, that is a great question. But keep in mind the spiritual truth. It may not be just for you. God may be allowing some things to happen with you and through you and to you for someone else's benefit as well. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37 and 38, look at this. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot that were men beside children. Look at this. This is very important. And a mixed multitude went up also with them and flocks and herds, even very much cattle. Look at this, a mixed multitude. You may have never seen this in the scripture, but there were even some Egyptians who left Egypt with the Hebrews. There's no question that some of the Egyptians looked at what Moses was doing and said, man, this God's God is God. This could not happen with Pharaoh's magicians. The things that Moses and Aaron have been doing and saying, it could only be because of his God. If you remember now, one of the Roman centurions at the foot of the cross who helped nail Jesus to the cross. At the end of the story, he turned and he said, this truly, this is the son of God. No doubt these Egyptians saw something in what Moses was doing. Some of these Egyptians, they saw too much power. They couldn't deny it. Think about this. God would use the struggle. He would use the sorrow. He would use the bondage of the Hebrews to make himself known to the Egyptians as well. So it wasn't just to and through the Israelites that God was working. He was working on the behalf of the Egyptians. And try to remember this, that our suffering could also be not only for our good, but for the benefit of someone else as well. The truth of the matter is none of us want to suffer. None of us want unpleasantries in our life. And usually never do we ever want to suffer on the behalf of others. I don't think that many of us would hesitate to go through hardship and sacrifice for our family. But sometimes God requires sacrifice, our sacrifice, for others, and I want to think just a moment about the military and the law enforcement. By the way, I'm for law enforcement, and I am for the military, and I am for God bless America, and I am for that stars and stripes right there. I am for old-fashioned patriotism. 
I think about our medical professionals and our first responders, how much they give and sacrifice for others. But remember, sometimes God requires us to sacrifice for one another. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 42, give to him that asketh of thee and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. But let me show you in the closing moments of this message, I want to show you one of the most strangest verses in all of the Bible. One of the most, what I believe to be the most, if I were to use bizarre, I'm not saying anything against Jehovah God. But I, I personally, in my study of 50 years in the scripture, there may be something stranger than this, what I'm going to show you. But I don't know where it is. Sometimes God requires us to do things that creates so much difficulty for ourselves. But it's for the behalf of others. And that's what he was doing in the life of Moses. That's what he was doing in the life of the Israelites. He brought them so much difficulty, but it was also working for some of the Egyptians. Look at this scripture here. In Isaiah chapter 20, verses 1 through 3. In the year that Tartan came unto Ashdod, when Sargon the king of Assyria sent him and fought against Ashdod and took it, at the same time spake the Lord by Isaiah. Now I'm talking about Isaiah the prophet. Not Moses, not Aaron, not Pharaoh, not the Egyptians, not the Hebrews, but look at this. I'm talking about Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, God is, now listen, God is asking him to do something that I find to be the most bizarre thing that God has ever asked a human being. He said, Isaiah, go and loose the sackcloth from off thy loins and put off thy shoe from thy foot. And he did so. Look at this. Walking naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Like as my servant Isaiah hath walked naked and barefoot three years for a sign and wonder upon Egypt and upon Ethiopia. That God had commanded Isaiah to go naked. You say, that, what are you talking about? You can read like I can read. That's what it says. This will be a good place to talk about school books going on in public schools right now. But think about this. God looked his way and said, Isaiah, I know you're doing everything right. You're a man after my own heart. You have sought me with every fiber of your soul. You have been extremely faithful. You have been obedient. You have been kind. You have been focused. And by the way, because you're doing all of the things right, I want you to sacrifice three years of your life in humility so you can be a sign and an instrument to others. How and why, I don't know. But you know what? I've come to realize this. I'm not in a position at this point in my life, to question God. 
I don't know what purpose other than for the Egyptians and for the Ethiopians. And, and because God works in mysterious ways. That's what he said. You read the story about Jonah and the whale. You read the story how the whale swallowed Jonah. If the word said Jonah swallowed the whale, I would have believed that. I, I don't know. But I will tell you this. What I do know is what God asked of Isaiah. It wasn't just for him. It was for the benefit of others. Sometimes God will do that. And by the way, Jesus, and I'll close with this. I don't have time to finish this message. Jesus, when he left Pilate's judgment hall, he was beaten beyond human recognition. The flesh was whipped off of his back. He had human spittle dripping off of his chin. He had a crown of thorns pressed two inches in his brow. And he was stripped naked before the world for the benefit of others you and me. When I think about this part of the story that we're in right now, God's done some incredible things. He's done some unusual things. He's done some things that's just blown our mind. He's, he's told Moses to do, for better lack of words, we, we step back from a human perspective and we say, this is just ridiculous. But Moses said, nevertheless, God, I will obey you. That brings me to a, the place where we close. You know, there's a song that we sing from time to time, all to Jesus I surrender, all to him I freely give. Sometimes God, when he speaks in mysterious ways, we're, we're too, too concerned about holding the quarter too close. And we, we can't see anything else but but our problems and our troubles and our wives and our whims and all the reasons why we shouldn't. We look at that core and we say, oh, man, 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 man. We brought our problems so close, that's all we can see. We, we don't take time to see the vastness and the bigness of God. It's all around us. And I will tell you this, no matter what you're going through today, there's not an ounce of your trouble that's bigger than God. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.